welcome to the Melinda Eitzen Show. I'm Melinda. We're so lucky today to have Natalie Gregg with us. She's also a family lawyer, and we're going to talk about process choices to get divorced. Welcome, Natalie. Hello, how are you? Great. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. So we're both family lawyers. We've been fortunate to work together in the past on cases, either on each side or uh, mediated some for you. So I know you're good. Oh, thank you. And likewise, <laughs> you're a very skilled mediator. Oh, thank you. So we both have experienced people coming in and talking about, hey, how do I get divorced? And there's different process choices, right? Absolutely. So what are the process choices? So we can go as simple as, hey, let's get around a table like this, a kitchen table, and a couple can decide what they want to do with assets. They can outline basic things that are their goals. We call that a kitchen table. Um, that is the most basic. Um, then we can actually engage in litigation. Litigation, as both of us know, can be very costly, uh, but sometimes it's absolutely necessary. And uh, it's the default model, right? Yes. That's so, what happens if we can't agree on another process choice. Exactly. So litigation is the default, and um, that involves going to court, um, presenting in front of a judge, having evidence, um, and a lot of people say, I want my day in court, and I say, be careful what you ask for, because sometimes that day in court can be weeks in court, and it can be years sometimes to get a divorce. And very expensive. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I would argue the most expensive process choice. I would too. And I, I think I was sharing earlier with you that my experience, so I'm, I'm collaboratively trained, I'm a trained mediator, and I'm also a litigator. I would always, if possible, tell people to think outside of the box. Don't listen to your rah-rah friends who are saying, oh, we're going to get him. Um, <laughs> because sometimes that can be very toxic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've talked about kitchen table deal, litigation. What's the next one? So there's a process, as you are familiar and trained and really good at, um, collaborative law. And that is um, where you completely opt out. You say... In an actual formal process, um, we're going to opt out of litigation. We're going to agree. We're never going to uh, see the inside of a courtroom um, unless there's a very small exception for family violence. Um, and it's a, it's a process that involves control and a team model with everyone involved in a confidential setting. And people get a little confused about collaborative because that's such a common vocabulary word. But when we say collaborative, we're not just talking about let's all get along. Right. We're not talking about kumbaya high fives. Um, <laughs> we're actually talking about there's a codified section of the Texas Family Code where it defines what collaborative law is. Um, so you, once again, you sign that participation agreement. It gets you know signed by all parties involved. Then we file a notice with the court to get off the, the dismissal docket so that they're not up in our business. Um, this is important because of the privacy. A lot of times um, you have couples who have embarrassing facts or mm -hmm. you have children um, that have very special needs. And if you go into a courtroom, a judge is just going to rubber stamp um, what the typical schedule might be, the standard possession schedule, um, or they might 
just not have time to hear mm -hmm. all the nuances of what's going on with this family. So a lot of people also think that mediation is a process choice. And they'll say, they'll call me as the mediator and say, hey, we want to hire you to be our mediator. And I'm like, go get a lawyer and then hire me. <laughs> I can do it pro se, but it, it's, it's not ideal. Um, but how does mediation fit into all this? So I like to draw a timeline for my clients and say, um, we start with the petition for divorce. Then you either have temporary orders or a temporary interim agreement. So that's where we agree on child support, um, custody, the, the rights and duties temporarily, and um, any other property issues that need to be addressed on an on a as-needed basis. Um, so we have, after we have that temporary agreement or temporary orders, um, then we do discovery. And discovery is a process that involves exchange of as you know, financial information, um, information about medical conditions, um, witnesses, um, but mainly the finance part is, is, is the big portion that we need to get to mediation. And a lot of clients don't understand um, within that process, if we don't have all the information, we can't divide a pie we don't even know what it's comprised of. Right, right. And then mediation occurs. Yes. And once again, as the rock star mediator that you are, um, mediation is, you know, it's a day-long process. I always tell clients to, to wear comfy clothes. No one, no one cares what you look like. Um, bring all your devices that you need to communicate. And, and hopefully that's our day. Um, you know, I think the statistics are 95% of cases settle outside of court. Um, I seem to get a lot of clients that don't want to settle, <laughs> um, or I think maybe they they um, come to us because they have tried everything. Yes. And yes. sometimes you can. You can try everything. Yes. You can go to mediation in good faith. You can have all the information in front of you and still not feel like you're ready to, to sign on the dotted line. And when a client says, I don't feel ready, I feel coerced, I feel scared, mm -hmm. um, of course, we're not going to let them sign. But the happy, good thing about mediation is if you do, it's all over. And so from there, we turn that into a mediated, the mediated settlement agreement goes into a final decree, and you never have to see a judge again, aside from maybe a prove up, a final hearing. So mediation is a tool that can be used in either litigation or in collaboration. Yes. And oftentimes we use mediation when we come to a loggerhead in collaborative um, because um, going back to that process that is a series of joint sessions that are um, a lot of people there's a misnomer they think those are little mediations um, but they're not it's it's a two-hour session with a team of a financial neutral a mental health neutral both clients and both attorneys um, and in that process um, we some we'll come to a bunch of agreements, and then sometimes at the end there'll be just maybe a question about how does the business get divided, because it's it's not as simple as chainsawing it or even giving shares. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So the other thing people ask about is arbitration. So arbitration in my practice is not very often used. I agree. That's true. All and across the family law world. I've heard in other states that it's very successful um, and that there's even like Zoom arbitration where they do entire dockets um, online in oh, other that's states. Interesting. So what is it? 
So arbitration is like a mini trial. Um, it's more formal than mediation because there is evidence that's presented and that finder of fact, the arbitrator, actually listens and makes a ruling as if almost like a judge. Mm-hmm. Now, problem with our, my viewpoint, problem with arbitration is you're waiving your right to appeal. I think it's a huge problem. Yeah. <laughs> and I think <laughs> and, that's and I, why we don't like it. <laughs> well, and when you have such high stakes determinations, um, the client definitely wants to know, what do I do if this doesn't go my way? Yes. Yes. I think that's why it's not popular here is that that problem. But you're right. It's hardly used. You barely ever hear anyone using it. And if you do hear of it being used, it's for something minor, like arbitrating a disagreement about what was in the mediated settlement agreement. What did it mean or something like that? We have arbitrated um, divisions of like a wine collection, an art collection, <laughs> things that people might I've think are trivial. furniture. Yep. I did, I kid you not, Christmas ornaments. And <laughs> this is our life, right, Belinda? I, I once had a hearing where the judge called me and opposing counsel down because we were arguing over tools. And, and I advised my client prior to this hearing, I said, I can just take you to Home Depot for what you're going to get me <laughs> for attorney's fees. And the judge just looked at us and she's like, can we all just like stop right now? Because <laughs> we are wasting everyone's time. <laughs> yes. Although my husband would argue tools are important. <laughs> I think, I think everyone has their special thing that has value. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we've identified the processes. We have kitchen table deal, litigation, the default model, collaboration, Mediation's not really its own process. It's a tool used in one of those processes. And arbitration is really not a thing here, so we don't need to focus on that very much. Sure. So there's pros and cons, wouldn't you say, to each one? Absolutely. Um, so with, with litigation, um, one of the pros is that you, you do get access to the court. Mm-hmm. And you have a date. And you know, at least theoretically, right? Because we know there there are continuances and there are delays sometimes, but you have okay. I have a trial date, and I I'm gonna be divorced, or I'm gonna know, you know, if if I have custody at this point in time. Yeah, it feels a little bit more deadline-ish. I I will agree. I mean, I'll tell you my bias as I after before I talk about that. My bias is collaborative in most cases, and that usually litigation is because one side is crazy. Like, they cannot sit down and make a decision because of their psychological condition. And so you have to try those cases. And some just have to be tried. And we're happy to do it. But I lean towards collaborative. But I will say one of my frustrations, and it just happened on a case, is some of the other lawyers on the, you know, handling the collaborative case on the other side, because it's still two lawyers, right? One represents the, you know, one spouse, one spouse. They don't always prioritize their collaborative case, and I can't get the decree entered. I cannot get the decree from them. They will not take the time. And in one, we even said, I was trying to, like, avoid this. So I said, can we all agree on a signing meeting? I was trying to create Mm -hmm. a deadline. Let's have a signing meeting that we're all going to agree the clients are going to come sign the decree. And so then we have to back up from that and say, when are you going to get the decree to me or I'm going to get it to you? And then when are you going to get your changes? 
The day before the signing meeting, she gave me the first draft of the decree. So I canceled the signing meeting. Like, I can't read it in 24 hours. No. And I have to be able to give her my edits. We have to give it to the team to review. The, the two neutrals you talked about, the financial neutral, the mental health. We all have to agree on the form of that before it goes to the clients. And then they have to have time to review it. It was a 65-page document. Well, and I think it also makes us as attorneys look bad when you're trying to not throw the other attorney under the bus. Yes. Because you wanted to probably say, well, I just got it last night. Oh, no. I know. Then her client was furious and was writing and saying, can't we just have the meeting anyway and talk about the timeline? And I was like, look, I can't talk about the timeline. I already tried to create a timeline. Well, and it would have wasted however many professional at yes. the table by the hour just yes. sitting there like twiddling For no reason, right. So I think that is a negative of collaborative. Now, I would still say it still wins the day over litigation 90% of the time. Decide, and not every case do you have the other lawyer not cooperating. And probably she doesn't do that in every case. She had a life circumstance. We all have life circumstances for humans sure. come up. So it probably was just one time and it was just my bad luck that I'm the case that... <laughs> yes. But that is a negative, I would say. I think all an, another con of, of collaborative is you can't tell your client everything that the team's talking about. Mm -hmm. So when you did have this incident with your colleague, your, your co-counsel, um, you can't say, this is just what happened. Um, yeah. And then so there's kind of some blame shifting, I think, sometimes. But generally speaking, at the end of the day, I find that the results, so the parenting plans are amazing. So they're, much better. They're so custom. They're so much thought. Mm -hmm. um, as a parent, you know, I that's what I would want as a product. And then also the financial settlement, um, you know, you just, you have so much detail. It's real-time updated. Mm -hmm. And as lawyers, it feels really good to have this person who that is their job and they're the expert on that. The neutral. And, then, and we're, yes, the financial neutral. And we're, we're here to advocate and to say what pieces to move, but we're not in control of um, the data collection and, and, and uh, maintenance. Yes. So on the collaborative comparison, like you're saying to litigation, the judges we have some good judges, some bad judges, right? Just like there's some good lawyers and bad lawyers. and But even the best judge, like you're like your favorite judge that you'd want to be in front of, they have limitations on what they're allowed to do under the law. Correct. Um, and, and they're also, so a lot of people say, well, I have this great schedule. I have a firefighter schedule. Or I have this, you know, fill in the blank, schedule custom under three that I read this article about. And I want to use it. Uh, we can suggest it. We can say that this is, you know, we can even bring an expert in and say this is recommended. This is in the best interest of the child. But the, the judge, if they deviate from standard possession, expanded standard, what the, the code says, they're exposing themselves to appeal. And they do not like to be overturned. No, and we're in election year <laughs> this year, especially in Collin County. And I know I'm noticing that the rulings are very rigid. <laughs> <laughs> By the book. So you hear sometimes people call it a cookie cutter, that you might get a cookie cutter result from litigation, and that's the huge advantage of collaboration. 
like you talked about. 100%. It so, can be custom, custom, custom. And, and a lot of clients will come in and they'll say, um, I have an 18-year-old and or three kids over the age of 18. And I want to I want to provide for college and uh, you know cards and insurance and cell phones and all of this stuff and um, in litigation I, you know that's that's not happening right it's a big fat zero like sorry <laughs> um, but in in collaborative you can you can put whatever you want to in in your final decree um, as long as it's not against public policy yes so um, I just finished a case and, and my client is so incredibly happy. I mean, she's mourning the loss of her, to, you know, her marriage. Yes. But, um, you know, she's very happy with the results. And she's also happy. I mean, she was a nervous wreck during the process, even mm -hmm. privately. Mm -hmm. um, and because of COVID, we did it, you know, hybrid Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, very pleased. And, and I'm happy for her because she's come out the other side. Yes. It helps to move forward. If you have a result that you're not angry about, right? People can really live in anger. If they get a result from the judge that doesn't make sense to them, they think the judge just didn't hear everything. And there's limitations on what the judge can hear because of the rules of evidence. I, I find too, that with litigation, sometimes it becomes our client's identity. And so they're living for the fight and they're sending emails at all hours of the night. Well, we can get her this way or get him this way. And, um, that you know, sounds like the psychological disorder I mentioned. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're like, man, that's a lot of energy that you're mm -hmm. spending hating that other person or living in the conflict is what I call it. Yes. And when you're living in the conflict, which litigation, unfortunately you walk in the courtroom and everyone's kind of sitting there like this mm -hmm. and, waiting for their turn to, you know, be uh, cross-examined on the stand. Yes. Now, we mentioned a process, the kitchen table deal, but we didn't really talk about it much. So I always tell clients, look, you and your spouse can sit at your kitchen table without lawyers and strike the deal. But usually that isn't what people do. It's not, and I highly do not recommend it. Um, <laughs> you, you told me to look at it. I do not recommend that. Um, getting a lawyer, I mean, and this is not just because I'm a lawyer. I would say anyone. It's, you know, don't, don't necessarily have to hire the best lawyer or the most expensive, but having an advocate in your corner is, is really necessary. Um, the terms that go into an original petition for divorce or for modification, those are not words that are common um, and we also, I have a lot of clients who will come in and they read it on online on Google <laughs> and they're like, and my mom's group, the Plano moms or the McKinney moms, like they all said that this is what happens. Oh dear. Well, the problem with the kitchen table deal, you've identified that one, they don't know everything they need to agree to, right? So they need a lawyer to explain, Hey, you all have to make decisions about X, Y, Z about your kids. XYZ about your property and they maybe have had a pattern in their marriage where one person overreaches. There's always a power inequity as I see it. And so even when um, I do informal settlement conferences, you can see the dynamics. I mean, they'll start correcting each other. Mm -hmm. um, but getting back to why you need an attorney, some of, some of the things that people ask, well, 
we've agreed that I'm going to stay on his health insurance until I'm 85. Not and allowed. Like, you can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> and and that's just the law, right? Right. Um, or we've agreed that if he ever loses his job, that he'll keep paying $5,000 a month in child support. That's really not yeah. going to happen. I mean, they're, they're, he's going to come back and try to modify. They don't know what they don't know, that some things are modifiable no matter what you say because it's in the public policy, the interest of the public, that we not allow someone to say, even if I become an axe murderer, I'm going to be the primary <laughs> parent, right? Exactly. <laughs> We're going to protect children over contract law. Exactly. And then I also encourage clients when they start is to contemplate, yes, you might have an 18-month-old baby, but this is a, you know, hopefully a document that can last you and we're mm -hmm. not going to be in court every two years trying to change it mm -hmm. so let's think about all of the all of the options the different phases of life and then also you know employment right now the economy mm -hmm. is you know kind of a hot button um not everyone not like oprah you get a house and you get a house <laughs> like that used to be when when i first started practicing 20 years ago everyone you know we'd get enough money where each parent could go and buy a house and now it's like we don't even know if one parent can be the anchor with the house with the interest rates as oh, they are it's really gotten hard for people to qualify and to give up like the interest rate they have if oh. they have a really good one. Oh yeah it's so painful it's really impeding settlement it is and and also the geographic restrictions so um and i know this is this goes into process because I had a, a couple who did a kitchen table, and then while they were doing it, um, the the mom um, was engaged to a gentleman outside of the geographic restrictions. They already knew that they were going to move, but they didn't put that that um, that ISD in or that county, and so she just really doesn't have a lot of options to to modify it because it's so recent. So I'd rather always to start with a good product mm -hmm. with the information and not have to fix it because sometimes you can't go and fix it. Yes. Well, in the kitchen table deal, um, they don't understand what they're agreeing to sometimes. And then they can enter something that's wrong. And it costs more to fix it than it would have been to just hire a lawyer and do it right the first time. So kitchen we always tell people kitchen table deal is an option. Most people don't think it's a great option for all the reasons, emotional and financial, that we just <laughs> talked about. But I tell them it's the least expensive way to get divorced from an attorney's fees perspective. Oh, yes. But it course. might be the most expensive way to get divorced if you strike a bad deal for yourself. Well, and also there, there can be delays because they don't know what document they're going to file. So I've had people come, you know, with a, an agreement. An agreement and then they'll have like a notarized affidavit they, they've just made it up you know mm -hmm. and and they'll say well I just I want you to file this with the court and and we're done I'm like well one of you needs to be the petitioner you know <laughs> um, it doesn't work that way <laughs> we're back to that doesn't work that way and we're not in a binding agreement so mm -hmm. literally and this has happened so much time you know you could just rip it up because it's not enforceable um, as an informal settlement agreement or a mediated settlement agreement that are both defined by the law as 
binding irrevocable. Mm -hmm. um, and so those those two terms are very important because I always say there's no takesies backsies. <laughs> uh, and that's a good thing when you want it to be solidified. Yeah. yeah. Um, because when you think that you've solved all the world's problems and then you come to an attorney and they say, mm, it's not really enforceable, mm -hmm. um, that that can cause some consternation. Yes, yes. I you know, it's it's challenging because we do want them to try to agree on some things like, hey, if you all can work out the division of your furniture and we don't have to fight about that at our hourly rates, um, that would be great. But sometimes they can't even do that. And if they have any conversation early on before the lawyers are involved and somebody agrees to something and then they learn more about the whole situation and they back out of that agreement, we hear about that the whole case. She yeah. agreed. He agreed. They agreed. Get him back. I know that they'll agree. That's a big problem. So as soon as someone retains me, my first advice is um, if there is a proposal or someone says, hey, um, will you promise to always take care of me, like spousal maintenance or <laughs> always take care of our kids? Well, let's define those terms, right? But, but let's not. So I always say... It's like brainstorming. You just say, great idea. We'll, we'll talk about that later. I'll consider it. Yes. It's, it, that's an interesting option. Mm -hmm. So because you don't want to shut them down, and you also don't want to say my lawyer won't let me agree to anything. I um, was in mediation yesterday as the mediator, and one side kept saying, I have a recording of him agreeing. He agreed. He agreed, he agreed, he agreed to whatever. And then she played me the recording. Well, he did agree. And then he said, but, like, I agree I owe you this, but I will then offset it against what you owe me. So she was only remembering the part that benefited her, right? That's human nature. <laughs> I only agree on the, I, I remember the good things, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've had clients bring, like, a piece of paper like tiny little scribble. on the napkin they and wrote on like, the napkin i will take care of you for life and i'm like okay so when you went down the aisle and you said i do and sickness and health we're we're obviously breaking that promise right yes and, yes and i don't take that lightly but i'm just saying all bets are off pretty yeah. much we don't have a deal till it's signed in a binding way yes or the judge signs it and even at that, I have to explain to clients, I've been to so many, mo lately, so many motions for clarification mm -hmm. after a bench trial because um, our judges are really busy mm -hmm. and, you know, they're drafting memo rulings sometimes, not, they're not ruling the day of. And so we're not sitting there understanding, having the ability to process and ask, ask questions of the judge. Well, what did you mean by half of this? Or mm -hmm. so, um, and those can can cause attenuated, longer litigation mm -hmm. post-divorce, and, and the client's just like, I thought I was divorced. I mean, you told me we were going to trial, and it was going to be over that day, but um, now we're, we're going for clarification on on what, you know, this, this asset is no longer part of the estate. I sold the car. The car broke. I got into an accident. Um, so how do we offset that spreadsheet? Um, and, yeah, that's that's been kind of a, an, a recent trend I've seen with the memo rulings. The, well, and especially if there's a big delay, because every day things change, right? Like yes. you said, property gets spent, broken. The 
children's situation changes every day. So it's live action, and if they don't rule quickly, too much has changed by the time they rule. We have a case right now where there was a delay of seven months oh, in ruling word. on a modification, and that seven months almost cost a teenager their life. Um, and right now we're, we're back in the court litigating after we had a full trial um, because, you know, things change, as to your point, and um, especially those crazy teenagers. I have two yeah. of them. And I, you know, they're, they're always kind of changing their minds. And also um, just this culture we live in is very um, – I think it empowers teenagers mm -hmm. to make choices, mm -hmm. um, and that can be good. Mm -hmm. But then also these parents who are like, hey, talk to the judge. We want you to say this. Mm -hmm. And as you know, that is never – I don't – that's my last um, go-to in litigation mm -hmm. in this process. Mm -hmm. Well, seven months to rule, that's horrible. Yet another reason that either collaborative – or using mediation and litigation is a better choice. The statistics show that people who settle, meaning they have agreed to the deal, that it's more, much more long-lasting and they're much less likely to have to come back to court to modify or clarify or enforce or do anything because they have said yes to this. But they have ownership. And so yes. they've, they've had the ability to mold it and, and have their agency involved. I think when... Um, you go to court, sometimes you feel like it happened to you. It's a passive thing. Um, and some, a lot of people feel victimized. And if you ask both parties after a ruling, um, neither one looks super happy. And, oh, agreed. agreed. And even when I've gotten a hands down, I've gotten everything on the list, check, check, check. The client is just like exhausted. The judge is not limited by what either side asked for either. So I had a case once where no one asked for this. She, her result was, this isn't a current sitting judge. She ordered, gave one person the right to make all decisions about extracurricular and the other person had to take them to that extracurricular, whether it was their day or not, and gave the other person the right to make all decisions about church activity, and the other person was ordered to take the child to all church activities. No one asked for any of that. So I couldn't figure out, like, did the judge get confused about which case it was, or was she trying to force settlement because she did something so horrible that no one would like it, and it would require them to then come a new solution but that's what can happen in court so that's a reason to consider a settlement option absolutely <laughs> um also with with you know custody arrangements um i've had a judge do something similar where they've divided children so oh my goodness mom gets the two eldest and dad gets the youngest and then you have this division in the family and I don't see how that's good for anyone I don't think unless the children were hurting each other like that was the issue I don't think any of the research supports dividing siblings I think the mental health community would say you should not divide siblings I would almost say 100 percent yeah you shouldn't unless there is abuse or you know bullying or something yeah something dramatic right oh my word so um our judges we, again, we have some good ones and some bad ones, and they have different 
experience levels themselves, but most of them did not own complex property and mm-hmm. <laughs> own a bunch of businesses that are owned by family limited partnerships. <laughs> and so they've just had to learn on the bench, you know, about that. And the lawyers have to educate them when we're trying to award and divide those things. But there's limitations in the law what the judge can do. They can't just make everybody sell every business or sell a partnership. Or I mean, there's limitations in what the judge has the ability to do. So when people have really complex property, they are much better served working together to figure out a way to not disrupt all of that business and do something that makes sense, that gets everybody some value, but doesn't just tear it all down. Absolutely. Um, We're going to a five-day jury trial um, in a case with 10 different businesses. They're all unrelated, random, but all family-owned, closely-held family-owned businesses. Um, And at the beginning of the case, the court, sua sponte, just gives, you know, okay, you're going to manage this business, but the building it's in, the husband gets to manage the building. And it was just, it's so fractured. And we're, you know, we're going to have to educate a jury on all these issues. And um, at times, I don't even know if, because there are so many components, I don't know. We need charts. Yes, lots (laughs) of charts. (laughs) Charts and pictures. And this this person goes here and yeah, here's the shares. Um, So that's, Now, why would someone pick a jury? It's unusual. You do more jury work than most people, I would say. Why would someone pick a jury instead of a judge to decide? That's a good question. Um, Sometimes it's happened where I walk in the courtroom with my client. There's something that the judge, we can tell. Judge is not loving the client and um, just reacts. um, Or they had a prior counsel that, you know, didn't follow the rules or did something a little underhanded, and then they get, you know, associated by, you know, guilt by association. So um, in this case, the court does not like um, a client uh, in most of the cases that we go to a jury. And so we make them, you know, human, and we tell their story. And with five days, you have a long time to say, this is what led up to this. This Mm -hmm. is not just um, you know, a 20 minutes aside or two hours aside thing, this is their life story. And mm-hmm. in <clears throat> some of these cases, we have 35, 40 year marriages where they've built empires. Yes. And it's very hurtful because there's so much history mm-hmm. and so much complexity there. Mm-hmm. And there, the jury doesn't get to decide everything. No. Right. So there's certain questions they get to decide and certain things that still the judge decides. Exactly. Give us some examples of that. So um, a jury cannot decide um, the possession schedule. So a lot of people are like, I'm, I'm going to tell this jury what I need to, you know, how often my kids need to see me. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <clears throat> so they can decide geographic restriction. And so... Um, you know, and that's that can be really huge in a relocation case mm-hmm. um, where. So a move case. Somebody wants to move to yes. Florida. You know, I just just found my new love online, and I'm, I want to move to Tallahassee. <laughs> <laughs> and so that would be a jury question. Um, another jury question is disproportionate share. And so when there's fault grounds um, like adultery or um, fraud, um, some 
cruelty, um, then we present that, and then they can say, okay, we're going to move the needle from 50% to a different percentage. Um, but the valuation on paper uh, is allowed, but um, I don't like submitting valuation to the jury because it's such a complex issue. Yes. Oh, my word. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation about process choices. What would you recommend to people if they're trying to sort it out? What should they do to learn a little bit more about all these processes so they could make a good choice for themselves if they were contemplating divorce? So I think, number one, um, just researching attorneys and, and seeing who whose message do you like, um, and then talking to friends about people that they've used to get mm -hmm. personal referrals. Um, but as a good resource for collaborative, Collaborative Divorce Texas is a website um, that's amazing. It's very client focused. Um, and as for, um, you know, finding attorneys, if you're in Collin County, get a Collin County lawyer. If you're in Dallas, you know, I'd say local counsel is, is really key. I, I see a lot of missteps with that. And sometimes, you know, just, just knowing your audience, um, mm -hmm. is, is the best choice, but getting the most amount of information. And even if it's a few consults, like even if it's two or three, you're educating yourself and you're investing in the process and in what your choice is going to be. And I think you'll be happier. Yeah, it's important. Hiring the lawyer is important. There's good lawyers, there's bad lawyers, there's lawyers who really have the family's interest at heart, which I know you do, but there's some people who are just greedy lawyers and they're, they're not putting the family first. So it's something they should research and, and really look into. Um, absolutely. And you know, I, I do, I, I will never, um, I live in a glass house. I will never um, disparage another attorney, but if I see a signature block on a petition that comes in in a consult and it's a churn and burn fees, firm, I will just say, hey, I just need you to know that, you know, your money is not going to go as far on this it's one. It's going to be more expensive when you have certain lawyers on the other side. Yes. That is the truth. We all know because we see their work all the day, we all do. the time. <laughs> <laughs> the good and the bad and the ugly. Uh, Natalie, we are going to put your information on the screen so our viewers can find you. Where is your office? So our office is in Allen. Um, we're off of McDermott. Um, 20 minutes from the Collin County Courthouse, but um, we practice in Collin, Denton, Dallas, and then in special cases outside counties um, if it's a complex case. Yeah, same here. We'll, we'll drive about two hours away usually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no private jets. No, thank you. <laughs> oh, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So now the tip for the day. There's many different ways to get divorced. You could do a kitchen table deal. You could litigate. You could collaborate. You could mediate in the collaboration model or the litigation model. And it's important to understand about this when you're looking into divorce. Take the time to do the research. Look at Collaborative Divorce Texas to learn more about collaborative. There's some great resources online to learn about comparisons of these processes, and then interview more than one lawyer and ask them about all those processes and then trust your gut. And that is the tip for the day.